the psalmist says, I was glad, very glad, when they say to me, let us go to the house of the Lord today. I trust that regardless of the circumstances that you find yourself in as of this morning, you were truly glad to come to the house of the Lord because you've come to worship one who is the most important being in the entire universe, in the entire universe. Special welcome again to any visitors that came after the welcome was met. If you are among those, please, you are very, very welcome as you gather with us, and we trust that uh, your gathering with us is a blessing to you. Let me invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians and chapter 5, and we will read two verses, verses 15 and 16, especially the passage that we'll be looking at this morning, Ephesians chapter 5. Verses 15 and 16. Reading from the NIV. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Let's just look to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray together again. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the privilege, we thank you for the opportunity that we can gather together in the name of the Lord Jesus, our Savior, gathered together unto him and for him and because of him, gathered that we might worship you, the Father, who might worship him, who is your Son, who is our Savior. Thank you for the privilege that is ours in him to join the hosts of heaven and exalting the one who is above every name, the Alpha and the Omega, the one who is now without beginning and without end, the one who has forever been and shall forever be. We thank you that we have a relationship with him, most of us here, and are grateful for the opportunity to return thanks to him and to acknowledge his worship. We continue to pray our Father for the blessing of your presence in our midst, even as we pray also for our brother, Pastor Lama, who is not with us. We pray for him that as he engages in ministry elsewhere, your grace will be abundantly be poured upon him. Bless him, bless his ministry, watch over him, protect him, and may you restore him back to us safely. 
These things, Lord, we bring before you through our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Time is one of God's very great and valuable gifts to man, to us. It's a universal gift because everyone has time. Everyone has been given time. The young, the old, the rich, the poor, males and females alike. In fact, we all have the same amount of time. Interesting though, but sometimes we say, you seem to have more time than I have. I don't have time. Time is very little. And the question is, could the God who would have given us time, give us little time in order to accomplish all that he wants us to accomplish? Could he surely have given us too little time, such that by the time we wind up on this earth, we will not have accomplished what we needed to have accomplished because we didn't have time? Is that true? If he is the God of wisdom, and the God of love, and the God of justice and fairness, he wouldn't do that. Just imagine, if we consider just a day, 24 hours, say from midnight of Friday to midnight of Saturday, that's 24 hours. We have all gone through that period. We are in a new day today. We, each one of us, have had 24 hours during that period. And we might need to ask how we have utilized that 24 hours. We each have had exactly one day in the last 24 hours. Exactly 1,440 minutes, every one of us. 86,400 seconds in the last 24 hours, every one of us. Eight thousand seven hundred and sixty hours. That's in one year, 365 days, every one of us. Or 31,536,000 seconds. No more, no less. So, for the last one year, every one of us, God graciously gave us 31,536,000 seconds. And the question is, are we able to account for each and every one of those seconds? Are we able to account for each and every one of those 525,600 minutes? Or the 8,760 hours of the last one year. Can we account for every one of those single hours? And perhaps, in order to account for them, 
we may need to look at what is it that has transpired in the last one year in our lives? What is it that we can look to and say, this is what I can account for, for these many hours, for these many days, for these many minutes, for these many, many seconds. How did we spend those seconds that I've mentioned in the last 24 hours or in the last one year? Did we spend them wisely or did we spend them unwisely? Did we spend them on things that really matter? And our value, especially as far as eternity is concerned, or not at all. In other words, how much of good stewards were we of the time given to us? Were we good stewards of the time given to us in the last one year, in the last 24 hours? Stewardship of time is our topic for this morning. And I believe this is the message that the Apostle Paul brings over to the Ephesian believers in chapter 5, verse 16, 15 and 16. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. One man, Sokman, says, time is the deposit each one of us has in the bank of God. And no one except God knows the balance. By the time we are born, at the time we are born, God deposits in his bank the time allocated to us. And each day that comes, each day that passes, each moment, each second, each minute that passes, that balance reduces. There's a reducing balance. And only God knows what the balance is on each day at the end of each year. Dr. Haggai says, yesterday is a cashed check. It has been fully spent. Tomorrow is a promissory note. It may never come. Today is cash in hand. So use it and use it wisely. Invest it wisely. Stewardship of time. Before the Apostle Paul tells the Ephesian believers to manage their time well, that is to exhibit good stewardship of time, and the opportunities that God brings before them, he first of all teaches them and reminds them in chapters 1 to 3 about who they are and what God has done for them. He covers a number of things, but the life that they have in Christ is actually life that is made in heaven. It's God who brought it from heaven to them. That they are individuals, as individuals, they are a product of God's infinite wisdom. In as far as their salvation is concerned, displayed through his foreknowledge in eternity past, 
his electing and predestining grace, whose ultimate end for them was conformity to Christ's likeness. That in turn they were effectually called and reconciled to God through Christ, through the outworking of his grace in his death. That they themselves, as believing Gentiles, for that's what the Ephesians were, non-Jews, as well as the believing Jews, they both have been reconciled to God and to one another through Christ, and therefore both constitute the Church of Jesus Christ, a display of God's manifold witness, wisdom. He goes on to tell them how much he prays for them, so that they may have a spirit of wisdom and revelation, that they may understand what the length and breadth and height and depth of the love of God is. And in chapters 4 to 6, he then begins to tell them how they are to live on earth this life made in heaven. That it is a life of humility and gentleness and patience and forgiveness, love, unity, service and truthfulness. That it is a life of walking by the Spirit and growing towards maturity in Christ, saying no to sin in all its manifestations and yes to righteousness. That it is a life of imitating God, as we've read in chapter 5, and Christ's Son in the demonstration of that most profound of godly virtues, love. That it is a life of wholesome relationships, and that it is a life of prayer and devotion to the Word, as it is a life of constant battles against that one archenemy of God, the devil himself and his kingdom of darkness. And so it is within this framework, within this bracket of what characterizes or what should characterize the Christian life that the Apostle Paul tells the Ephesians, be very careful then how you live, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. We'll look at those two verses by seeking to answer three questions. What, how, and why? What, how, and why? First, the what. What is it that the Christian believers of Ephesus were supposed to do as they live their Christian lives. Having come to know Christ, having been blessed in the way that God had blessed them, what were they supposed to do, especially with respect to the issue of stewardship of time? What are we supposed to do as we live our Christian lives as stewards of all that God has entrusted to us? Time is just one of them. But of all that God has entrusted to us, how are we supposed to live? In this particular section, I believe he's focusing on the issue of time, the stewardship of time, and with time come opportunities. He says to them, we must live our lives, and he says to us, we must live our lives very carefully. 
not just carefully, other versions in fact say very carefully. The NIV itself says, be very careful then how you live. The King James Version, see that you walk circumspectingly, an old English word for being careful. The New American Standard Bible says, be careful how you walk. The New Living Translation, be careful how you live. The ESV, English Standard Version, look carefully then how you walk. Again, walk there refers to our way of life. Literally, the Apostle is saying, we must live our lives accurately in accordance with what God has laid out for us. In chapter 2 verse 10, he has told the Ephesians, you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And these works were, as it were, marked out for them before the foundation of the world. The apostle says we must live our lives accurately or with absolute care. The opposite of that is to be careless with our lives, to live carelessly, especially with respect to the use of time. That very important resource which we are so often very wasteful of. And you can tell that we seem to have wasted time. You just need to be a student to know whether you waste time or not. You come to January, you are studying, they tell you the exam will start November the 25th. Still a long way off. You don't revise, you don't do anything. Come October 1st, that's when you're very serious at books. You can't even sleep. You are so tired, you go to sleep on Saturday very late. You come to church, you're just dozing on Sunday morning, perhaps. We can be careless with time. The Apostle Paul is reminding us that this world does not belong to us. That we cannot afford to walk anyhow, to live anyhow. This world is not like our bedroom where we can afford to walk and live the way that we want. The Bible says this world is under the power of the evil one, under the control of Satan. Satan controls the world and his systems and he has all his lieutenants planted all over. Why we cannot afford to walk carelessly? There are dangers and pitfalls within and without. Friends, we cannot afford to be careless. This world is like a forest. Let me paint this bad picture. Just to reinforce the point, this world is like a forest infested with snakes. And you are told to walk through it. 
and you don't know where the snakes are hiding. Snakes rarely expose themselves. They are in hiding. And you are told to walk through it. You will not afford, you cannot afford to walk carelessly in that forest. Or perhaps a forest full of wild animals. They hide waiting for their prey. If you walk carelessly, you might just find you are the culprit. It's like a river infested with crocodiles. And you're supposed to cross it, perhaps wait across it. You will not afford to do so carelessly. You will not say, well, I've crossed this river so many times before. You will always be careful. As I said, John tells us in 1 John 5, 19, we know that we are children of God. And that the whole world, the whole world, without exception to any aspect of it, the system of this world is under the power of the devil. For the Christian, then, living in this world is like walking in an area with landmines. You have to be very careful, lest you step on one and it explodes in your face. Walking or living very carefully, as the NIV informs us, means walking wisely. Be very careful then how you live, not as wise, but uh, not as unwise, but as wise. This is what the apostle begins to mention when he tells us concerning the how. How do we walk then? If this is the kind of world we are in, if this is the kind of world we are exposed to, how then do we carefully walk through it? The apostle says wisely. And James would inform us, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God. So if we are unwise, it is perhaps because we don't ask God. We don't avail ourselves that grace of wisdom that he gives liberally, as we are told. How can we live carefully or walk carefully in this world? First of all, negatively says we must not be unwise. Other versions say we must not be foolish in our walk or in our living. Positively, we must walk or live wisely. And he explains what he means by this in verse 16. What does it mean to walk wisely, to live wisely in this world? Well, as you see in verse 16, it's really he's expressing it in terms of how we use time, how we expend the time that God has given us. Walking very carefully in this world of sin, where Satan has dominated, so it seems, means making the most of every opportunity. The NIV, making the most of every opportunity. Again, the New American Standard Version says, by making the most of your time. 
The ESV tells us by making the best use of the time. The New Living Translation by making the most of every opportunity to do good. The Kingdom's Version by redeeming the time. You can see the thought flows out in all these different versions. It's all about time and its use, time and its management, with the respect to the opportunities that come with time at different intervals. So essentially the apostle is saying to them and saying to us, we are to live or walk very carefully by living wisely. And this basically means making the most use of the time that we have. Making good use of the time that we have. Making the best use of the time that God has given us. This, I believe, is the thrust of our text. We are to make the best use, the most use of the time that we have. Remember, this is not our time. It's the resource given to us. It's the resource given to us so that we may do that which God has called us to do if we are Christians. It's the resource given to us so that we may live as normal human beings on this earth. So that with the proper use of all the opportunities of expressing the Christian life in its various facets. So, it's not being wise. It's not pursuing Christ-likeness. It's not living the Christian life as we ought, and indeed not making the most and the best use of the resource of time that God has given us, if the time and the only time we read our Bibles is when we gather together for Bible study here at church or in our homes on Tuesdays or meet like this on a Sunday morning or any Christian gathering. In all probability, there are some among us who are opening our Bibles for the first time after seven days. That's not a good use of the resource of time. And the question God might ask us is, what have we done with the seven days times 24 hours over the last one week? It's not the best use of the resource of time that God has given us. If the only time we pray is when we gather together for corporate prayer meetings, or when we're at home, and are about to sleep or that famous prayer time and sometimes we forget especially when we are very hungry when it's time to eat maybe that's the only time we pray at home maybe when we go to sleep that's the only time we remember to pray so most likely three times a day breakfast lunch supper fourth time when we go to sleep and those are likely to be one second prayers two seconds at the most possibly five seconds we are done five seconds out of 24 hours 
times 60 minutes times 60 seconds. Is that a good use of this important resource? If the only time of witness for Christ is when a corporate time of evangelism is called for, the church says we are going to gather together and go for door-to-door evangelism. If that's the only time we use this resource of time, as far as that particular aspect of the Christian life is concerned, that's not a wise use of this resource. Or when we spend most of our time doing nothing constructive, we are all guilty of that, aren't we? We are doing something, but it's not constructive in any way. It's not edifying in any way. Perhaps it's a slandering. Is that constructive? Backbiting, rumor mongering, gossiping. And these kind of activities are the kind that even take more time. Paul has just been telling them, speak truthfully to one another. Let falsehood be away from you. It is not a good use of this resource. This apparently rare resource when we do not honor our appointments and we never apologize at all. We are all guilty of that. Most of the time. Make an appointment with someone, you break it either because you forgot, or worse still, you break and are aware that you are actually breaking it. Maybe you even remember 30 minutes before time, I'm supposed to honor this appointment. You deliberately break it. The next time you meet, ah, you know what, uh, sorry, sorry. Or you don't even say sorry. That's not a good use of this resource. Why? Well, the other part was waiting at the other end. They suspended everything. Maybe they even gave you 30 minutes waiting for you. No show, no call. Until they give up after one hour. So we end up stumbling others. We end up delaying meetings. We end up dragging others backwards. Have you, if you have chaired a meeting, or if you have coordinated something, and you agree to meet at a particular time, and by the time you are starting, you are all not there, or some people are not there, and you get the meeting going. And as the meeting goes on, five minutes afterwards, someone comes in. 10 minutes afterward, another one comes in. 30 minutes afterward, another one comes in. The last one comes in when you're about to end. And then they begin to ask questions. Uh, I'm not sure whether you covered this one. I'm not sure whether you've already talked about this. What do you do if you're coordinating that meeting? You get others, that is if you're the culprit, you get others and drag them backwards. If they are lenient, they will start explaining. If they are not, they will say, ask me after this, especially if it's the chair. We can stumble one another 
when we do not make use of this resource properly. The only excusable reasons why we cannot honor appointments, why we might not keep to time, is perhaps we are engaged in weights of necessity, weights of mercy, weights of piety, things that demand our attention there and then. But even then, in this age of new technology, we can communicate. Let's not let others at the other end keep guessing what is happening and even get them to see in the process. What are some of the reasons we do not keep time, especially at Christian gatherings? I believe sometimes it's because we have a low regard for these meetings. They really don't mean much to us. They are not a priority. They don't rank as priority. If you work for an organization, and one of the requirements is that you are on time, you start work on time because you'll be paid according to the hours you put in, you will make sure that you are on time because you know that at the end of the month you'll be paid according to the hours you put in. So you rank it as a priority. Is it because we are not paid at church for these Christian gatherings? There's no paycheck at the end of it. No, as we're learning in the Bible study, you know, this God is a gracious God. In this life, there's more that he gives and he will give. Much more in the life to come. Is meeting with God between meeting with God and meeting with your boss, which one of those is the most important meeting? Meeting with God on one hand or meeting your boss? Which one of those is the most important meeting? The answer is obvious, but we do the opposite, isn't it? We reverse the order of priority. People will be late. So why should I be here and be kept waiting? Those are some of the reasons. I know people are going to be late. So why should I go early? I will just remain waiting. The meeting is going to start after one hour. Does that sound familiar? Christian gatherings? This year we are going to have a number of weddings preceded by kitchen parties. At least seven weddings, God willing. Are we going to ensure that we keep to time at those kitchen parties, at those weddings? Perhaps let me spend a little bit of time on this one. Our ladies and kitchen parties. Kitchen parties. Those of you yet to get married, those of you getting married, those of you organizing these events, why should the kitchen party start two hours beyond the scheduled time? Three hours beyond the scheduled time. Fifteen hours you put on the count. The meeting starts at 18 hours. Why? Is that a good use of this resource of time? 
What happens between these three hours, 15 to 18? What will people be doing? Imagine that person who leaves home and they are set for 15 hours and they go there. Should you keep them for three hours waiting? Is it fair? No, it is not. It's an unwise way of using this resource. It's a wedding ceremony. The officiating minister emphasizes to the matron, to the bride, to the groom, be on time. The people coming to support you have other commitments. This is not the only thing they are to do on this particular day. They have put this slot just for you because they care and they love you. You come after one hour. Is it fair? In the family setup, unhelpful spouses can be the reason for not keeping to time, not making use of this resource of time wisely. It's a Sunday morning. You are married and you have five kids. Going by the usual Zambia, there are five kids, the first one will probably be ten. Let me put it at four. Probably be eight. Okay? And the youngest will be less than two years old. All this needs to be prepared. To be prepared by somebody to get ready for church at 9.30 or 8.30 if it's for a Bible study. And if there you are, you are the man of the house. All that you know is early in the morning to sit there and allow your, let command your wife to run the bath for you or to prepare the water for you. You are seated somewhere. Maybe you went early to buy a newspaper and you are busy reading that. Or perhaps you are on your television set behind the screen you are watching. So the wife must do that. The wife must prepare your breakfast and you are waiting. So after she has prepared the breakfast, she has to come and kneel before you. From there, she must start preparing the young ones. Starting with the youngest. She must bath them. You have no idea how to bath a baby. She must press their clothes, including yours. She must dress them up. And when it's 8.15, 9.15, you start hooting. It's time to go to church. Christian husbands. What example is that? What spirituality is that? Poor use of the resource of time. So let me charge, uh, charge, encourage, exhort the Christian husbands, especially those that are with young boys and girls in their homes. They could even be dependents. Be helpful. Plan your time well. Some of these things can be done the previous day, Saturday. You press their clothes, press them together. Perhaps you give that yourself as a duty you will do. I will press the children's clothes. I will wash the children's clothes and press them Saturday evening, including your clothes, including your wife's clothes. 
you will be ready in time on Sunday morning for the worship service. When we start the service on Sunday, the church is not the way it is. There's so many gaps. And the person leading the service here gets worried, wondering, are, are people, have people boycotted coming to church today? They start filing in one by one. And some of the reasons, that's what I've been explaining. It ought not to be that way. He said, poor use of the resource that God has given us. And we could go on and on. Friends, we are called by God to be good stewards of his time. It's not even our time. By being wise, through making the most and the best use of it, by deliberately, deliberately planning through the wisdom that the Spirit of God gives on how to use it, so that every second can be accounted for in some way. To use it profitably, to use it constructively, whether it be even simply by resting, and that can be a good use of this resource, or by doing something constructive, something of value, something worthwhile. That's why it's not mere coincidence that the Apostle Paul goes on to say in verse 17, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will, what the Lord's will is. Again, he introduces that word foolish or being unwise. This is the Lord's will. Understand the Lord's will. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery or excess. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. He's saying to us, this issue of being wise in the use of time must involve God, must involve the Spirit. We must be wise in keeping in step with the Spirit of God. That essentially means being continually filled by Him. Essentially means being continually controlled by Him. So that we may know what God's will is. So that as we plan our time, because he's leading us, he's guiding us, we'll plan our time well. If we are not controlled by the Holy Spirit, we are likely to squander away time. And the sad thing is, trouble may soon caught us. Could it not be, dear friends, could it not be true? That the lack of fruitfulness and blessing in our spiritual lives and in other areas of our lives or when we have experienced just a little bit of blessing and fruitfulness is because we have not managed our time properly and have consequently not given Christ the rightful place and time that he deserves. Remember the children of Israel, the times of Hagar and Zechariah. Here are these people. They should have learned their lesson well enough. They, were already, they had been in Babylon. After 70 years, they are brought back into the promised land. And instead of concentrating on their Lord, they are concentrating on themselves. And the Lord is not happy. 
And so they're busy paneling their houses, and they're busy planting their fields, and they're busy doing this, that, and the other. The house of the Lord remains neglected. And God reminds them, do you know why you are not getting anywhere? Do you know why you get money only to put it in pockets which have holes? It disappears before you know it. Do you know why you are not getting as much from your toiling on the, the fields as you ought to? Well, I have. I am the one responsible for that. Because you have neglected my house. He tells them. So do something about it. Things will change. That's the extreme side. To respond to God because he threatens, because he, 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 he as it were, tells us he's going to punish us, or he has punished us because of neglecting him. Ours should be to respond to him out of a heart of gratefulness and thankfulness. We will do it because it pleases him. We will do it because it's the right thing to do. We will do it not because God is going to punish us if we don't, know. We will do it because it's in keeping with our calling and it pleases God and we want to please God. We want to obey him, so we will do it. We have looked at the what, we've looked at the how. The next one is, why must we do this? Why must we be good stewards of the time God has given to us? And the answer is given to us in the text. Because the days are evil. The days were evil in Paul's day. They still are evil even today. In fact, there are even more manifestations of sin in our graves. Perhaps an imposed day. Sin is present almost everywhere you look. Of course, including within our own hearts. The digital age of the 21st century has not just been a blessing, but it has also brought more ways of spending time sinning. Perhaps in front of a screen in one's living room. Or even while seated in church here, perhaps as I preach, you are on your mobile. And all that you are doing is just sinning. You are looking at certain pictures that are dishonoring to God. In church, but with sin. In the bedroom, with sin. At work, with sin. Sin, friends, and these manifestations is all around us. This is the age of pornography. In all its various manifestations. Any wonder why Paul's words for us to be wise and redeem the time. To make the best use and the most use and profitable use of time is timely. It's because the days are evil. Let's pay attention to the injunction of scripture. James says, whoever knows what is right to do, 
He fails to do it, for him it is sin. James 4 and verse 17. You know what is right to do? You know that it's the right thing to be on time? You know that it's the right thing to keep your appointment? And for no good reason you fail to do that? James says that is sin. So how many times do we sin against one another? Sin against God? We are engaged in Christian warfare. Therefore, let us always put on the armor of God. As we have opportunity, we read, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the household of God. These are ways of utilizing, of properly utilizing the time that God has given to us. Philippians 2 verse 4, each of you should look not only to his own interest, but to the interest of others as well. Pray constantly, give thanks in all circumstances. In other words, we are to be engaged in ministry. And ministry does not just mean preaching like I'm doing. Ministry is serving. That's essentially what it means. And we can all serve. We can serve our God as individuals. We can serve our families in our homes. We can serve the church. We can serve the world, the community around us. We have been called to a life of service. We've been called to ministry. And how much of that do we do? Compared to the amount of time God has given to us. Do you know that the devil is involved in de-ministry 24-7? When we are sleeping and resting, he's busy in de-ministry, busy destroying, busy trying to undo that which we are doing. He is active. He throws around like a roaring lion, we are told, seeking somebody to be there. He's moving up and down across the earth. He's not everywhere. But he has demons all over. He has evil spirits all over, stationed in order to cause havoc and confusion. He does not rest. He's involved in the ministry. We are called to serve till the master comes. Let us remember, therefore, to be involved in constructive service. So may I ask you, as I ask myself, as I've asked myself, how do you spend the 1,440 minutes of each day the Lord gives you? How do you spend it? Can you meaningfully and honestly account for each minute of the 1,440 minutes the Lord gave you and me yesterday? Can we meaningfully and honestly account for them? In short, are you, am I, a faithful steward of God's time? We can be faithful stewards by living our Christian lives wisely, by making the most and the best use of God's time. 
through constructive, meaningful service to God, to the church, to our families, and to the world around us. 2019, pursuing Christ-likeness, corporately. Who can be Christ-like? We can go towards, grow towards Christ-likeness, even in the area of being good stewards of time. Do you know that the Lord was a good steward of time while he was here on earth? The Lord has spoken to you, spoken to us, and we are obedient. A test of that obedience will perhaps be just this afternoon, 17 hours for gathering for the evening service. Will you be on time? We'll gather together, God willing, Tuesday in our home groups. Will you be on time? We'll meet together on Sunday, God willing. 8.30 for the Bible study, 9.30 for the morning service, would you be on time? If you should be late, let it because, because of a work of piety, a work of mercy, a work of necessity. You are an unbeliever. Do you know that the Lord has also given you one day in which there are 1,440 minutes. How do you spend, how did you spend the last 24 hours? Perhaps you say to yourself, no, at least I come to church. I spent two hours in church. Fine. That's only 8% of 24 hours. A dismal 8%. Imagine in an exam you get 8%. Can you even go around posting? I got 8%. I got 8%. So you give to the Lord 8% of your time. And it's not even your time. It's the Lord who has given that time to you. You can make use of your time this time wisely. First and foremost, making use of that opportunity when the Lord speaks to you, speaks to you about your sin, speaks to you about your need of salvation, speaks to you about hell and heaven, speaks to you about redemption, speaks to you about the need to honor. That comes at a particular time. Respond. Make wise use of that opportunity coming at that particular time and respond to him by giving your life to him. Your 8% that you must boast about, God says, it's like filth rags. The righteous deeds of a man who does not know God are like filth rags. They smell in the mysteries of God. Give your heart to Christ. Surrender your life to him. Repent of your sins. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have gone astray. There is none that does good. No, not even one. 
we have all sinned and we need the grace of God. The Ephesians needed the grace of God and God exercised that grace in their lives and in time he called them to himself. God can also call you to himself as he shows you your sin and as he shows Christ to you. Crucified on the cross, arms outstretched, come unto me, O ye that labor and that have labor, and I'll give you rest. And the Lord help us to respond positively. Amen. Amen.